Exodus 25, verses 1 through 40, page 77 of the Black Pew Bible. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it, and you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherubim on one end and one cherub, cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall, their faces, shall the faces of the cherubim be, and you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. You shall make of a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make a rim around it a handbreadth wide and a molding of gold around the rim. You shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners of its four legs. Close to the frame the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense, and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings. You shall make them of pure gold, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. You shall make a lampstand of pure gold. The lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calices, and its flowers shall be of one piece with it. And there shall be six branches going out of its sides three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself, itself there shall be four cups made like almond blossoms, with their calices and flowers, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out from the lampstand. Their calices and their branch branches shall be of one piece with it, the whole of it a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. You shall make seven lamps for it, and the lamps shall be set up, up so as to give light to the space in front of it. Its tongs and their trays shall be of pure gold. It shall be made with all these utensils out of a talent of pure gold, and see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. We'll turn your Bibles to Exodus 25. 
want to ask the children, second grade and under, that are ready to go to Children's Church, if you'd come down, line up at the door in an orderly way. Got some folks that are going to teach you the Bible. Excited about that. Is that everybody there? Right. Exodus 25, we're looking at 25 through 27. I want to thank everybody that um, stepped up and led last week. Phil preached. Wednesday night, Blake um, taught the adults, and Brian taught for the students. And a lot of people were out of town. We took uh, my wife Jenny and, and I and Morgan, Kayla and Kristen and Carly. We all went to uh, Lafayette, Indiana, to counseling conference, and we were taught and sat on teaching the word all week. It was really helpful. Looking forward to being able to share those things with you. I asked them what they learned. Uh, it was a great edifying week for us all and it's a sweet time I was with my my wife and one of my daughters and some of my favorite folks in all the world and had a great time uh, being together thankful for you allowing us to go look forward to uh, seeing some of those things that we learned being able to put them into practice here at our church Exodus 25 through 27. I was talking to a, a cousin of mine, and um, she's been spending time with her mother, my aunt. She's going through chemotherapy, and sometimes that requires her to spend the night with her, or if she's in the hospital, to stay the night in the hospital. And she was telling me how it's inter- interesting how her husband, they've been married 35 years or so, her husband can't sleep when she's home. She said, you know, you're in a hospital, sleeping there, you can't really sleep. I said, yeah, my husband, he doesn't sleep well. He's used to me, somebody being in the bed with him. I said, I just can't sleep. And some of you can relate to that. In fact, there's a good friend of mine, shared the same thing, uh, been married for years and years and years, and his wife would go out of town, and so he, would, he goes to bed really early. Well, he couldn't go to sleep. And so what he would do is he would make his, his, one of his kids to come and lie in the bed just in her spot. And... Um, and he did this until his children uh, moved out, were grown and moved out. But his, I remember his teenage son, 17, 18-year-old son, and yeah, i got to lay there, but I, Dad, wait till he starts breathing heavy. Then I can, like, get out of bed. Um, but you're used to someone being there, right? And then they're, they're not. Their absence affects us. And it kind of made me think about that as we're looking at our text today. Adam and Eve, they were in the garden, and they experienced what we might call paradise. Paradise not because they were given all the wonderful food to eat. It's not paradise because they were given dominion to govern it all, right? Given authority to govern it all. But it was paradise because they walked with God. They had sinless fellowship with the Lord. We can't imagine that. Or, or maybe, we maybe better way of saying that is we can only imagine what that's like. But of course, Adam and Eve rebelled against the Lord. Sin entered the world, and their relationship with God was changed. You'd be correct if you said that their relationship ended. And from that point in redemptive history up to where we are in Exodus chapter 25, God has been filling his purposes through the nation of Israel, but you haven't seen him dwell with his people again. We've seen him redeem his people, right, the great Exodus. We've studied through that as he rescued the Israelites from the hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. We've seen him lead them through the Red Sea. We've seen God lead his people by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. We've even seen him speak to the people and give them the Ten Commandments. He gave the whole nation as they trembled in fear. But we haven't seen him dwell with his people. 
since the garden, it hadn't been the same for mankind. It's not as it should be. It's not as it should be for man to be at enmity with their creator. If you remember in chapter 24, where we were last time we were together teaching through this book, God had brought Moses, Aaron, Aaron's two sons, and 70 elders up, to the, up the mountain where God reminded them of his law. And as he reminded them of the law, the response of the people were, God, we're going to obey you. All these things you say are good, and we're going to obey. We're going to do what you say. A sacrifice was made. You remember the blood was sprinkled on the, the people. A meal was eaten. And then God walked back up the mountain, and, and God ratified that covenant. He authenticated that covenant by writing those Ten Commandments in stone and giving it to the people through Moses. Now, if you look where we are in this book, in chapter 25, now's the time that some of you say, okay, it's time to jump ship. We've studied through Exodus. We've been in here long enough. We're in chapter 25. Let's move to like a New Testament book, something a little more exciting. But these next 15 chapters are really important. You say, well, how do you know they're really important? Well, there's 15 chapters in the book of Exodus given to us on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Moses, that teach us about God giving the plans for the tabernacle and then having the tabernacle through the Israelite labors uh, being built. So this is really important. God's about to do something really, really special here in Exodus 25 through 40. And so what he's going to do, he's going to give instruction in chapters 25 through 30, give instruction on this is how you build the tabernacle, laying out the, the, plan, the, the, the plans, if you will. And then chapters 35 through 40, we're going to see the completing of this project, the actual work being done. And we know from the rest of the Bible that the tabernacle, the building itself, the furniture inside the tabernacle, all that takes place, the acts performed in and around the tabernacle, they're symbolic and they're prophetic. There's more here than meets the eye. So what the tabernacle is doing is prefiguring what's to come. And Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, tells us, They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to wreck the tent, that's what we're talking about, the tabernacle, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. This tabernacle is a replica of God's dwelling place in heaven, a symbol of God's presence that he's going to have with his people. So three things we're going to learn from our text this morning. Uh, first thing is an offering is given to the Lord so the Lord can dwell with his people. The first nine verses, and, and Josh read this for us. I know you're thinking, man, that's a lot of Bible reading we did at church. Well, we're teaching three chapters this morning. We want to read enough for you to, to understand kind of the context and what's going on. But these first nine verses, we see this offering being um, given. God, he says, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. But notice, it's from every man whose heart moves them. There's, there's no mandatory amount demanded from each person. They were to give as they were moved in their hearts to give. They gave what they wanted to give. And this is exactly the way things are going to work in the church today as well. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, speaking of this um, offering that was taken up for the poor, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, there's a command, hey, let's take up an offering. We're going to make this, this tabernacle, this dwelling place. We need, to, we need to take up an offering to pay for it. We need to take up an offering so we'll have the supplies, the building materials to build it. And these heartfelt offerings of the people was more than enough to get it done. Exodus chapter 36, verse 2 and 3. And Moses called... Bezaliel and Oheliab 
and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put to skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So once this, this challenge has been given, this command has been given, hey, we need to collect these things, these building materials, they're given it every morning. And then verse 5 through 7. The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. For the material they had, had for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. So they called for a contribution, and a contribution was given. Everything was taken care of. It's interesting. Where did the, the Israelites... I mean, they're nomads. They're wanderers. They were, keep in mind, they're slaves in Egypt. Where did they get all this loot, all this stuff? Yeah, from Egypt, right? Yeah, Exodus chapter 11, verse 2. While they were still in Egypt, God told Moses, Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man and his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. They're about to leave Egypt. And God commands them, hey, ask your neighbor for some gold, some silver. About what's happened immediately prior to Exodus 11 2, Egypt had just went through nine judgments of God. God knew He was about to deliver these people. And look at Exodus chapter 12. They asked their neighbors for, for these things, and look what happened. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. This wealth that the Israelites supposedly had was provided by God, wasn't it? And then they voluntarily gave that back as an offering to the Lord. Well, isn't that the way our finances should be dealt with in the church, right? What do you have that has not been given to you? Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, Pastor. Come on, preacher. I work hard for my money. Yeah, I'm sure you do. There's people who work real hard for their 25 cents a day in some countries. You're wealthy and you're blessed. Yeah, you work hard. That's good. You should. But the Lord has blessed you and allowed you to make that money. What's the purpose of the tabernacle? Look at verse 8 and 9. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture so you shall make it. What's the purpose of the tabernacle? So God can dwell with his people again. It hasn't happened since the garden. But this is to be a sanctuary that would be holy. And why is it holy? It's not holy because of the measurements or the gold and the silver and the bronze, but because that's where God's going to be. God's going to be there in their midst, and it's going to be a holy place. And we've seen God give these building plan commandments before when Noah built the ark. You read Genesis chapter 6, it's line by line, description by description, specific plan, how to build this ark, the dimensions, the materials, how it's to be done. It's given specifically to Noah, and here we see the same thing with the Israelites there at the base of Mount Sinai. And it's interesting, too. They took this money up. They got this collection. They collected all this money and all these possessions and all this material, and they never even saw the plans. We would never do that. What are we going to build first? What's it going to look like? They freely gave these, this contribution so that this tabernacle could be built. And it's interesting, too, as he begins to get into the plans of this, this tabernacle, that the furniture, how, to build the, how they're going to build the furniture, that's the first instructions. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? When I... Built my house. I live over here on Hazel Grove in Burleson, and I built it 20, I don't know, six, seven years ago. I built my house, and uh, one of the students, I was a student pastor at that point here, and uh, one of the students uh, 
that he helped me. It was he and I. We had my S10 pickup and a 16-foot flatbed trailer that was only partially filled up. It took us one hour, one hour to load up my junk and move it in and to set everything up. One hour. That's how much stuff I had. Now it's going to take a tractor trailer to haul all, all my wife's stuff away from the house. Sometimes we have to move, right? It's interesting that the furniture is is described first. So the second thing we see, the floor plan, so God can dwell with his, his people. First thing we see in chapter 25, and it's, it's best for you, this is, um, um, we're talking about the tabernacle, and we're going to get through this text. We've read through chapter 25. I'm going to just highlight some things in 26 and 27, but it's going to be really helpful for you if you open up the scriptures and look for yourself. Page 77, um, verses 10 through 16, we see the, the, the ark is mentioned first. This isn't the ark, like knowing the ark. This is the ark. It's like a chest. It's a wooden box, right? This, this covered, after it's made with acacia wood, it's to be covered with, completely covered with gold. And God gives the specific measurements for it. And it talks about a cubit, a cubit, a cubit. Well, we don't use that form of measurement, but a cubit is from your elbow to the end of your finger, a man's that distance, it's supposed to be about, eight, it's 18 inches is what it is. So you can kind of do the math. I'll, I'll kind of give this stuff to you in feet, but in inches, but it's, it's, it's 18 inches. So the ark is about three and a half feet long, two and a half feet wide, and two and a half feet high, two and a half feet deep. And as you read through the description, it had rings on the side. And all these things have rings on them. And it talks about these poles. Like, what's, what's up with the rings and the poles? Well, God's given really specific instructions on how to do everything in the tabernacle. And one of the things that, that you'll recognize real quickly is everything has these rings on it. And the reason it's for is for these poles to go in so you don't have to touch the actual object. The furniture doesn't have to be touched. Because remember, this is a, a tabernacle. And what's going to be happening, keep in mind where they're at. They're at the base of Mount Sinai. But that's not their final destination. What's their final destination? The promised land. They're, they left Egypt, and they're trying to get to the promised land, the land God's going to give them. But on the way, remember, they're, they're at the base of Mount Sinai. They're going to be there about 11 months receiving the law like they're doing now. But then they're going to be on their way again. And God is leading them by cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And how are they going to move this thing? The Levites, one of the, the tribes, they're in charge of taking care of the tabernacle. And they're going to use those poles and they're going to pick these pieces of furniture up and they're not going to have to touch them with their hands. They're going to move them with poles. And all of this is overlaid with gold. And inside the ark, there's going to be the testimony, the, the, the Ten Commandments. That's what's going to be put in the ark. And we know later there's a jar of manna that's going to remind them of God's provision and also Aaron's staff that budded. Is going to be in there as well, but that's going to be later. So there you have the ark, and it's going to be put in what's, what's called the Holy of Holies. And we'll look at that. We've got a diagram. We'll look at that in just a moment. And what I did, I was trying to find pictures and all that make this a little bit easier for you. And, and, and we've got a few we're going to show you. But what I did is I ran off a, a, a real simple um, picture diagram of the ark and where these things are going to be. And there, it's in the vestibule when you walk out. If you want to grab one of those, put it in your Bible. It'll kind of help you as you think through some of these things. And many of you have seen those before. But the next piece of furniture we see is the mercy seat. Look at verse 17 through 22. And it was also covered in gold. But what it was is just a lid for the, the, big, the big ark or the, the box, the ark, right? It's a lid. It's a covering for it. And this is where the blood from the sacrifice will be sprinkled. It's also called the atonement cover. Because that's where the sins, the Israel sins were atoned for, right? Sacrifice would be made and blood would be brought in to the Holy of Holies on the day of what? Day of Atonement, right? Once a year by the high priest. And on the lid, on the cover for this box, there's, there's two cherubim, one on each end. And it's in between those cherubim on top of that mercy seat, on top of that lid for the ark. That's where God is going to meet with his people. 2 Samuel chapter 6. When the ark has been captured by the Philistines and King David, he's bringing the ark back to eventually to Jerusalem. And David arose and went with the people who were with him from Baal, 
Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, look at this, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. In other words, that's where he meets with the people. And of course, we know that God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can't put God in a box, right? And you can't. He's, he's everywhere. But what's going to happen is he's going to manifest himself here in the Holy of Holies on top of the ark, on top of the mercy seat, in the middle of those two cherubim. And it's here before the symbol of God's presence that Moses would go. And we're going to, you continue reading the story, Moses is going to go in this, this place and he's going to meet with the Lord. And he's going to come out and what's he going to look like? Do you remember? He's going to be, he's going to have this glory thing going on. Not sure what it was, but he's going to be glowing. He's going to be different because he's been in the presence of the Lord. The ark is to be kept in the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. All of the other furniture that we talk about is going to be placed outside the holiest of holy places in what we call the holy place. Well, that's kind of confusing. Yeah, it, it may be so. You have the holy place and the most holy place. The only thing in the most holy place was the ark with the mercy seat on it. Once a year, the, holy, the, the high priest will enter that room. You're thinking, man, that's a lot of gold, a lot of trouble if only one person's going to see it. We'll talk about that here in a moment. You also had a table for bread. This was in the holy place, the next room. This table is made of, again, acacia wood. It's going to be covered with gold. And there's going to be some dishes there, dishes for the, uh, the, the incense, for bowls, for drink offerings. They're going to be made of pure gold. Of course, the bread's there, and it's called, other, other places, it's called the show bread. And it's put on the table, and there's regulations for this bread. It's unleavened bread. Leviticus 24, 5-9 tells us specifics of that. But there's 12 loaves of bread, once for each tribe, arranged in two rows. And every Sabbath, that bread would be changed out. They would take the bread that's been there for a week, and they would put fresh bread there, and the priest would eat that bread. You had the lampstand, verse 31 through 40. It's in the holy place. It was the only light in the tabernacle. It was made of a talent of gold, verse 39 says, which is about 75 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold, isn't it? It's basically a menorah. When you think of it, when you think of a menorah, it's a candle stick, if you will, with multiple lights, and they were to be kept burning continually. Can we get a, um, can we put that uh, encampment diagram up where it has the tabernacle in the center and all the other camps around it? No, the other one. I'm sorry. Yeah, there you go. This is, um, you'll see here, um, there's the tabernacle. Now, when we get to the book of Numbers, what this is is a diagram of um, the diagram of the, the tribes. Now, what's going to happen when we get to the book of Numbers? Numbers, if you, if you think about chronologically, Numbers is coming after Exodus. It's going to be down the road. But what's going to happen is God's going to organize his people. It's like, think of it like it's like boot camp. The Israelites, they're going to the promised land. And what are they going to do with the promised land? Yeah, they're going to take over. They're not going to just, the Canaanites aren't going to give it to them. They're going to go in and do battle. And so think of the book of Numbers as like boot camp. And what they're having to do is they're having to put them in order. And these are all tribes. And so when they camp, this is how they're to make camp. They'll pick up and move. And when they do camp, but notice the tabernacle is right there in the center. And it, right around here, these are the Levites. That's where they live. They're, they take care of the things of the tabernacle. And then here are all the tribes. There's the 12 tribes, um, the two tribes of Joseph there, and all the tribes around um, the tabernacle. This is how they'll, they'll camp. But think about it this way. The lampstand, it was to be lit continually all the time. You think, well, what's the purpose in that? Well, think about it. It's dark, and they're all in their camp. But think about if, there, if there's a light shining in that tabernacle and all those camps is dark and they're traveling here and there 
And there you'll see that light continually burning. And it made me think about the, the Lord and his ever-present help that he gives his people. It was just a reminder that God's with them. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. Psalm, Psalm 124, verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Is God going to fall asleep on the job? No, he's not. There's a light shining there, there in the tabernacle. The, in, in chapter 27, there's going to be a, a, a command given by Moses for oil to be brought. Olive oil was brought to keep these lamps uh, burning. But look at verse 40 of chapter 25. After a description of this lampstand, and see that you make them after the pattern for them which is being shown you on the mountain. So Moses is on the mountain. He's receiving all this instruction. And over and over again, we're going to hear this. God tell Moses, make sure you do it like I want you to do it. Don't do it any way you want to do it. Do it according to my plan, according to my diagram. What you're seeing, make sure you tell them to do it just like that. We'll see that time and time again. Look at chapter 26. Here where you see the design of the tent itself. Um, think of the tabernacle as tents with layers. How many of you go camping? Anybody go camping these days anymore? Yeah, there's a few folks. Most, most people, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, because when, we when I was a student pastor, we went camping all the time. Now I think, kids, don't get offended. You're just a little soft. I'm sorry. I mean, we'll, we'll have a, we have uh, overnights down here with the students or the kids. And you'll come in here. The girls are usually in here. The guys are over there. And you come in the girls, and they have these air mattresses. You know, I'm thinking, for me, air mattresses is a blow-up thing, you, uh, one of those floaties in the swimming pool, right? You blow them up, and you lay on them, you know, and you get good asleep. But then in the morning when you wake up, they're all flat. That's usually, that's kind of my air mattress experience. But you come in here, and the girls, they've got air mattresses. They're like this high. And you get on me like, man, that's nicer than my bed at home. Soft. You're soft, Right? Nobody wants to go camping anymore. Um, but think about this tabernacle, the tent. It's in layers like a, a, you have a tent like if you're going camping. And so what you have is, is, is um, one layer is thinner, and then the outer layer, you, you have uh, a little better, more waterproof, so to speak. Okay? So you have this... inner layer, you have the outer layer. The inner layer is made of fine linen. Look at um, 26. We'll read a few verses here. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with the cherubim skillfully worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits and the breadth of each curtain four cubits and all the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another. Verse 6, And you shall make fifty clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to another with clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. So you have this inner layer. And this inner layer is really nice. It's made of linen, and there's a lot of uh, artistry going on, um, sewing, making Cherubim, kind of cherubim motif going on. And they're clasped together. All these pieces are clasped together to make a whole. I should have got Cody to do this. He knows all about these tents. I should have got you to teach this, brother. Give us some expert commentary on this tent-like structure. Look at verse 7 through 14. Look at verse 7. You shall also make curtains of goat hair. Now you've got fine linen, the first layer. Now you've got you know, this goat, um, goat's hair layer for the next, getting a little bit more weather resistant. Eleven curtains shall you make. Now look at verse 14. And shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ram skins and a covering of goat skins on top. So you have the linen, then you have the outer layers of tougher material. It's kind of like, a, you would say, a rain fly if you put over a tent to keep the rain out. Okay. Um, and, and one of those layers is made of, it, 
it's in the New American Standard, it's called fine leather, and they're not really exactly sure what what that's made out of, but some type of skin. Look at 26, 15 through 30. I'm going to read verse 15 and 16. You shall make uprights frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of the frame and a cubit and a half breadth of each frame. So think about this. You've got your tent. You've got your, your canopy. But then you have these frames to hold it up. And that's the description given here in verse 15 through 30. And it was done. Look at verse 30. Then you shall wreck the tabernacle according to the plan for it that which you were shown on the mountain. So there's a very meticulous plan. Look at verse 31. This tells us about the how to put together the Holy of Holies. And you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia overlaid with gold with hooks of gold and four bases of silver. And shall hang the veil over the clasp, or from the clasp, bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate you, for you, the holy place from the most holy place. In Hebrew, in the language, if you say this, the, word, the same word twice, it gives emphasis, so it's the holy, holy place. It's the most holy place. It's the really, really holy place. All right? And this place is... Um, it's a cube. It's 15. When you, when you multiply the cubits by 18 inches and divide it by 12, it's going to be a 15 by 15 by 15 room. I don't know. For me to you, where's 15 feet? Cameron, probably about where you are? Yeah, it's not very big. I mean, this is one tabernacle for the, the nation of Israel. It's not very big. I mean, I, I, I hate this when it happens. You put things, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm a little OCD. And my kids, I tell them, they're like, you know, the girls are fighting over clothes. I'm hey, wear my clothes. You can wear all my clothes if you want to. I'm not, I'm not selfish. I share my clothes with any of my girls that want to wear them, right? I don't understand that, fighting over clothes stuff. It drives me crazy. But when I put something somewhere in my house, I want it to be there when I go get it. You can use it all day long, every day. I don't care. But when I need it, I want to be able to go in my toolbox and find it. Well, I've got a tape measure, and I go in there. And I can't find the tape measure. It used to be in the toolbox right there. But I was going to measure off the, the, how big the Holy of Holy was and how big the, the, the holy place was. So you can see, but it's not really big. I mean, from, you know, from, from me, back to you, Jeff, Jason, back to you, just like this big. It wasn't very big. But the Holy of Holies was a 15 by 15 by 15 foot cube. And it's interesting, the only time you see a cube in the Bible other than here in the Holy of Holies is in Revelation chapter 21. When it talks about the new Jerusalem, we'll read this text in a few minutes. When, the new, when, there's a, when Jesus comes back, the consummation of all things and everything's made right, and there's a new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, yeah, it, how is it? It's a cube. That's how it's described. The dimensions of it, of course, it's a lot bigger than 15 by 15 by 15. But, it's, but that's interesting. It's, it's telling us one day that's going to be our dwelling. There's not going to be any barrier. Like there's a veil here between the holy place and the most holy place. When, when Jesus comes back, there's not going to be a physical barrier between us and the Lord. And the only ones to see this ark that's in the holy of holies is the high priest. Once every year on the day of atonement. But this holy of holies is really, really important because that's where the ark is. That's where the Lord's going to meet with his people. Look at verse 36 and 37. If you read through that, it describes the screen for the entrance to the tabernacle. Now, when you first come to the tabernacle, you'll be in the, the courtyard that went around the tabernacle. Now, the courtyard was really big. As I said, the holy place, the inner part, the, everything's made of gold because it's inside. Really small. But then the court's rather large. That's where everybody went. All the Israelites could go into the courtyard. Pull up that diagram for me, Amy. I'm working y'all hard. Y'all working overtime today. The other one. That's the encampment. Now, you can't see it really, really well. It was kind of hard. But here you have this veil. That's the holy place. There's the ark. And over here you have the lampstand. You have some other things that haven't been mentioned yet. There's the table for the showbread. But there's a veil there separating the holy of holies from the holy place. 
But then you had the courtyard all around here. And that's where all the, the Israelites would come and they would gather and they would worship. But, but here in the, in the holy place, you, the only people that could go in there were the Levites and the priest. So you didn't have very many people going in there. And then you had even less people going to the Holy Holies. Only one person one day a year, the Day of Atonement. Kind of interesting, isn't it? But the courtyard was big, and that's where everyone went. And within the courtyard, look at chapter 27, verse 1 through 8. Read the first two verses. And you shall make the altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits broad. The altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits. And you'll make horns for it on its four corners. Its horn shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it, not with gold, but with what? Bronze. Yeah, because it's outside. This is outside the courtyard, in the elements. And you put horns on it. You think, what's, what's the deal with horns? That's kind of different. Horns on each corner. What has horns? Really strong animals. So anytime you see horn, it's always talking about strength and power. So you have this altar, and what happens at the altar? That's where sacrifices are made. Look at verse 8 of chapter 27. Again, you shall make it hollow with boards. As it has been shown you on the mountain, so shall it be made. In other words, follow my directions. Do it like I tell you to do it. This is how you're to build it. Verses 9 through 19, the courtyard. You shall make the court of the tabernacle. On the south side of the court shall have hangings of fine twined linen and a hundred cubits long for one side. What it is is you're putting up a fence around it. And it ends up being, you do the math, a hundred feet long and about a hundred feet, hundred feet long and seventy-five feet wide. And all the Israelites could go in the courtyard. Everybody could go there for worship. So we see the directions for the tabernacle. And again, what, what's the purpose of the tabernacle? Remember where we are in redemptive history, redemptive history so God can dwell with his people. The third point is that the tabernacle points us to Jesus who dwells with his people. See the common element there? Who dwells with his people. The tabernacle and its worship, everything associated with the tabernacle designed to impress upon the hearts of God's people in profound ways the truth truths about God, about man, and about salvation. And as you look back on this tabernacle, what you see is you see symbols that pointed that points us to Christ. Think about the ark. It's a symbol of God's presence. God was going to dwell again with his people, the nation of Israel. But in the fullness of time, about 2,000 years ago, what happened? God be, became a man. He took on flesh and he was given the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. He lived a perfect life and he died a cruel death. He was buried and he was raised from the dead. And he told his disciples before he ascended into heaven, he said, stay in Jerusalem. Why? Because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, which is also called the Spirit of Christ. He's going to be with you to be your helper. And we see Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, that those who would place their faith and trust in Christ are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of Christ will be with us always. Where do you go that the Lord does not go with you? As a believer, nowhere. We have His continual presence with us, don't we? What about the mercy seat? Blake read this text, Romans 3.25, tells us that Christ is the wrath-satisfying sacrifice on our behalf. It's called the propitiation. He died. He, he was punished for us in our stead. Think about the mercy seat. It was sprinkled with blood. And on each end, there was a cherubim. When Jesus was buried and raised from the dead, it's interesting, John chapter 20. Turn there if you want to. John chapter 20, real quickly. John 20, verse 12. I've always, you know, as you, as you study the scriptures, there's so much. You, you can't learn enough. All the little pieces being put together. God's story of redemption. You learn, you learn, you learn. The more you study, the more you study. And I've always been puzzled about this. 
Jesus has just risen from the dead, right? Mary Magdalene, he, that she goes to the tomb on the third day, on Easter Sunday. Look at verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. As she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And why is she weeping? Because the tomb's rolled away. She looks in, and Jesus isn't there anymore. I saw him being put here on Friday. Where is he? Somebody stolen his body. Then verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they go on to ask her, what are, you, what are you looking for? And then she sees Jesus just a moment later, the risen Christ. But I've always wondered about that. What's, the, what's going on with this angel at the, where Jesus' head was and the angel at his... And I think about this mercy seat. This mercy seat, this, these two cherubim on each end. That's where God would dwell with his people. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God has desired to meet with his people. And God has progressively revealed himself, his plan to meet with his people. For Israel, they offer sacrifices, right? Point us to the one true sacrifice. He'll meet with the nation of Israel as through the high priest as he makes sacrifice and offers that sacrifice to the Lord. But as we said, in the fullness of time, what did Jesus do? He became the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for us. He died once for all for sinners. The mercy seat of the old covenant sprinkled with blood prefigured Christ to come. And Christ did come and he did make a sacrifice and he was raised from the dead and now Christ is our mercy seat. In and through Christ, God meets us. We meet God and that is Indeed, merciful. The lampstand. Think about that lampstand in the holy place, giving light. And Jesus, you think about his ministry. John eight twelve. Jesus teaches his disciples, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Real quickly, turn to Revelation 21. We're going to wrap it up. Revelation 21, 1 through 3. God is speaking to the church through the apostle John. This is about the consummation of all things when Jesus comes back. Revelation 21, page 1233 of the Black Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven. From God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That's what we're looking forward to. Now we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us as believers, right? But it's still not what it's going to be one day. We're going to dwell with God. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Look down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. See, in the Old Covenant, God gives Israel this tabernacle, this picture, right? Where they're going to be able to meet with God. But here, when all things are made new, there's not going to be a, a temple. The Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb is the temple. Look at verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon or shine on, or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. So we see this light being given off by the Lord. There's not going to be need for sun or moon, because the Lord's going to be glorious, lighting up the place. Of course, the bronze altar in the holy place, we think about that's where the sacrifice was made. That's kind of easy. Points us to the cross, doesn't it? Where Jesus is going to die and suffer for sinners. But isn't it wonderful we live in the new covenant? Jesus come and neither tabernacle nor temple are needed. The church of the living God, according to the foreknowledge of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, is now where God lives. 
If you're a believer, if you've repented of your sin and trusted Christ, work on the cross as your own, you have the Spirit of God living in you, and you're what the New Testament calls the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? We see God instructing the people they're building a, going to build this tabernacle that's going to be mobile, that's going to be able to set up wherever they go so they can worship because that's where God's going to dwell with his people. He gives those specific instructions. And, of course, these things are pointing us to Jesus, right? Who's going to come and set sinners free, make atonement for sin. What do we do with this as New Covenant believers? I think first thing is we go back to the first thing we said, those first nine verses. Just as the Israelites were encouraged to give cheerfully, we should give cheerfully to the Lord and His purposes. Um, and how do you give? You give cheerfully and you give what you want to kingdom purposes. The second thing we, I think we should do in far, as far as application goes is praise the Lord for His transcendence as well as His condescension. You think, what is transcendence? What is that? It means that he's high above us. He's holy, and he's separate from us. And where do we see that in, in, the, in the structure of the tabernacle? Well, we see it in the veils. Think about all the people, people like you and me, right? We're the normal folk. We go into the courtyard, and we can be there, and we can worship, and there's the altar where sacrifice is being made, and, and eventually there's going to be a, a wash basin. But there's a barrier there. There's a, there, a veil, and we can't get into the holy place because only the Levites can do that, and the priests who are the tribe of Levi. And then beyond that, there's another veil, another barrier, and only the ones that are chosen, the high priest, can go in there one day a year. What's that all teaching us? God's holy. He's above us. We're not like him. Praise Him for His holiness, for His transcendence. But also, we need to praise Him for His condescension. This holy God who, who, who spoke the world into existence, this holy God who chose this nation, Israel, to be His people. He's instructing them to build this house for him and it's this big we built a house we want a big one we want a big old pretty house bunch of rooms got two rooms Blake it's this big it's not big at all and he's and if you're in the courtyard you think about if, if this area here is, is the holy place and the, the most holy place I mean all around it's the courtyard and like, yeah, I'm like, I'm just like, I'm just feet with, I can't go in the Holy Holy, but I'm just feet from it. It's 15 feet wide. I'm, I'm just, just this far from the place where God meets with his people. And although they have to stay in the courtyard, that high priest can go in that place and approach the Lord because of the sacrifice being made. The God who spoke the world into existence wants his people to know him and draw near to him. He allowed the Israelites to be close to him. He wants them to be close to him. Be close. To the Lord, but hey, don't be casual with them. Don't be casual with them. We do things just as the Lord tells us to do it. We approach Him just like He says we should approach Him. Yeah, I can get really close, but don't be casual because He's holy. 
leads us to our third point by way of application. And we have to do things, we have to worship God God's way. Every time he gives instruction on how to make sure you do it just like this, Moses, just like I'm showing you on this mountain, make sure they do it this way. We don't approach God, Annabeth, we don't approach him any way we want. No, we approach him on his terms, the way he wants us to, because he's God. We think about the New Testament, what are we taught? We're taught that Jesus is on the way, the truth, and the life. You know that one? No one comes to the Father except through me. So what are you talking about, preacher? This is what I'm talking about. We have these ideas that, you know what? I'm, everybody knows God, it seems like these days. Everybody knows the Lord. We say, well, well tell me, your, how, how did you come to know the Lord? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. I do a lot of good things. I don't do a lot of bad things. I pay my taxes. I'm good to my mom and daddy. Yada, yada, yada. What are we doing? We're trying to worship God our way. But God says, eh, it don't, that don't cut it. That's not how you worship me. You worship me through my son. So if you really want to worship the Lord, what you have to do, Jerry, you have to bow the knee and yield to Christ. Jesus, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through this. So what do you do? You bow the knee to Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life that you don't live and I don't live. But he lived the life that we have to live. He died the terrible death that we should die. He was buried. He rose for our justification. And if we trust that what he did is for us, his, his death, his resurrection was for me, was for us. I'm trusting you did that for me. I'm trusting you paid the, my sin debt. I'm trusting that you rose for me. The Bible says we'll be reconciled to God. And the barrier, the veil, you remember the veil, you remember when Jesus, when he, when he was crucified? Remember what happened? The temple? Because we're talking about the tabernacle. Down the road, when they get to a, the promised land, their homeland, they're going to build, God's going to allow them to build a temple. And in that temple, there's a, a big veil that separates God and the people. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? The veil in the temple was torn. Symbolically, then, hey, because of what Christ has done, we can have access to this holy, incredibly good God. Even though you're a sinner, even though you're a sinner, rebellious, self-absorbed sinner, you can have a relationship with God through his son. We don't approach God our way. I'm good. I can do this. Uh, da, 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 da. We approach him his way by saying, I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you. I've lived this way towards you my entire life. But today I'm yielding to you. I want to do what you want me to do. I don't want to live for me any longer. I recognize that I deserve the cross. I deserve hell. I deserve eternal damnation. But I recognize that Jesus died for me. And I'm brokenhearted over my sin. And from this point on, I want to obey you. And I want to yield to you. And I want to follow you and give you glory all my days. That's what it means to worship God on his terms. You trying to worship God on your terms or you worship God on his terms? Sinner. By way of application, repent. Turn from your sin and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge you are good. And you're so good that you gave us not only life and breath and everything good that we experience in life, but you've given us your word. And your word, we learn about the tabernacle, how you wanted your people to dwell with you and you want to dwell with them and you allowed them through this sacrificial system, offering up these blood of goats and rams you allow them to approach you. Even though you're holy, you allow them during that time in history to, to offer those sacrifices. And Lord, even though there was a, a nearness, you were still distanced through those veils. But God, I'm so thankful for Christ.
and his sacrifice for us. And not only can we approach you, but we, your, your word tells us that we should approach you boldly. Not because we're good, not because we got it together, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And we're so thankful for your love for us, sending Jesus to die for us. We're so thankful. Even though we're sinners and selfish, we can approach you as our Heavenly Father because of what Christ has done for us. And Father, I recognize there's some believers here and we're, we just want to rejoice and say thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. But Father, I recognize maybe there's some people here that they've been trying to worship you on their own terms. They think about you. They pray from time to time but they've yet to yield and bow the knee to Christ and his lordship. And I pray, Father, that you would break their heart over their sin. Father, they would draw near to you through Jesus the Son. They would cry out to you for mercy and you would save them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.